If you're tired of dieting and stepping on the scale, you're lacking energy and confidence, and you're ready to harness your inner athlete, then you're in the right place. I'm Sherry Shaban, and in each episode, I'll help you to rebuild your fitness identity and empower your deepest transformation so that health and fitness are not just what you do, but who you are. What's up, athletes? Welcome back to the show. We all go through stuckness at one point in life, and whether that is anxiety or difficulty with habits or relationship problems or even emotional dysregulation, everybody has something that they are dealing with, and this is what it is to be human. But so often we get stuck in time when an incident happens because our brain can't differentiate between something that is actually happening and something that already happened. Our brains are wired to hold on to past experiences and remind us of potential dangers to hold us accountable and to protect us from any upcoming dangers. This means that we can get stuck in a particular moment or event in the past and we're unable to move forward. And this can hinder us from living in the present moment. Athlete life is full of bumps and you'll always have them in your path no matter what. But once you master the skills for dealing with traumatic emotions, they will enable you to pivot and be grounded as you go through life. And this starts by taking ownership of your emotions and behaviors accepting them and practicing self-compassion and empowering yourself to take the right step in your relationships, around your health and fitness, and around your life. Taking ownership is the primary leverage that you need to make changes and transform your behaviors and habits. On this episode of Fall in Love with Fitness, Dr. Michelle Maidenberg shares with me about her journey her experience with emotional avoidance, and how she helps people get into a place of acceptance, compassion, and empowerment through mindfulness-based methodologies to get unstuck. All right, athletes, I've pulled out some key takeaways to help empower you while listening through this episode. Number one, our brain can't differentiate between something happening once and something happening a hundred times, and that's why we get stuck in trauma. Number two, adaptation is a coping mechanism by which we survive and it comes in different forms and shapes. Number three, it is our responsibility to be accountable to ourselves and to communicate effectively and to take responsibility of all of our actions. Number four, the discomfort is the growth. Nothing comes easy. All right, athletes, now before we jump into it, just a super quick reminder that if you head on over to iTunes, you review and rate this podcast, you take the screenshot and then send it on over to Sherry at SherryShaban.com. I'm going to send you a $500 voucher for you to join me in Transformation in Paradise this November 25 to December 2nd. And here's why you're going to want to join me. If you're ready to release the diet mindset, make peace with food, stop the binge, restrict, diet, exercise, punishment cycle, and find the clarity and calmness to feel in control around food and in your own skin so you can transform your health and body forever, you are going to want to be there. Now, if you head on over to www.sherryshaban.com 
forward slash retreats, you're going to have an idea of what the typical day together would look like and the other processes that we are going to be doing together, including breaking free from self-sabotaging habits. All right, now let's get into it. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the show. Hi, so nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited you're here and I'm so excited to get started and, and start talking a little bit about some of the things that we just shared offline. And so maybe we'll just get this going with a little intro as to how you came about to do what you do today. So you help teach people the ACE method, as you call it, and you help people find acceptance, compassion, and empowerment. And through these mindfulness-based methodologies, you assist people to get unstuck. So what brought you to this place and how, how did you get inspired to help people through this? Yeah, I was born ready to help people, I think. <laughs> I really did. I, I knew from the get-go that this was like my calling and I pursued it ever since, you know, I sought my education. But I really love, and people who know me, I'm very passionate about the work that I do because I really see changes and I see transformations and miracles, honestly, where people find themselves living such more of a filling life and living their best life and the life that they really yearn. And there's nothing, I have to say, nothing more rewarding than that for me, honestly, to, to like help somebody through their journey is just an incredible, incredible, you know, reward for me. So we get through stuckness and there's all different kinds of stuckness. So anybody could relate to this. You know, some people have, you know, anxiety. Some people have difficulty with habits, right? Some people have difficulty with relationships or emotional regulation. There's just like, everybody has their thing. It's like a human condition. We all have stuckness of some variation. So there's nothing, you know, once you are set up with these set of skills, it's, you know, almost like this foundation whereby you could go through your life and apply these skills and then really, really, it's like pivoting. I, I kind of call it like a pivot. So, you know, you're going to have all these bumps in the roads because that's, again, life is full of human struggles, right? And we could just like kind of pivot when we need to and then get realigned and grounded again. And it's all about that all the time. Yeah, I love that. And so I'm feeling that that you also have a story. There's generally people like us who coach people, who help people who are at deep empaths, who have this incredible desire to really see a person transform. It always comes from a place of personal struggle and personal pain. So what is your story? Absolutely. And I have to say that I get my clients like when they're speaking. And one thing that they say about me, which I appreciate so much, is that they feel my authenticity because I really get the adversity. So when I was a little child at like three, my parents divorced and, you know, I have four grandparents who are Holocaust survivors and who went through extreme trauma. I mean, most of their families were murdered, you know, in Europe during the war, which is absolutely horrible, of course. So my, my parents were raised by traumatized parents and they were traumatized and they got married when they were very extremely young, had me when they were extremely young. And it was like children raising children. I mean, honestly. So, you know, there was, I have to say, an extensive amount. And again, not, I've really gone through my journey and I've done a lot of personal work in really understanding their plight and having deep compassion for what they went through and understanding like how they parented me. So I do want to say that, but yeah, I would say that I was emotionally neglected if we, if we want to call it. And at times during my life really didn't feel safe, you know, physically safe and emotionally safe at all. And it really, when I was in college, I took out student loans to put myself through therapy. I don't know how, I literally can't tell you how I had the wherewithal to know to do that <laughs> because I didn't know anybody who was in therapy, but I just knew that I didn't want my life to be, you know, to go down that path. And I didn't want to, I really didn't want to repeat patterns of behavior. 
So I decided that I was going to do that. And then through, again, I, I started first, you know, thinking that I wanted to do family work and then I kind of transitioned and now I do all different types of work, but I was really attracted to mindfulness. That was, you know, the crux and it is a lot of the crux of my work. But for me, I would have to say that I had a pretty traumatic upbringing, you know, through a lot of adversity, you know, there was some substance abuse, not my own, but family members that I was exposed to things prematurely, you know, when I was a kid. So, and I'm still working on all of that, by the way, you know, I, I'm still working on it. It's, it's a journey always will be forever. <laughs> right. And I love that you say that because especially when you you've done so much work and invested in so much time and energy and effort to really overcome something traumatic, it's this constant reminder that it will be work to continue to maintain it. And that scar doesn't go away. It's, it's always there. It's, it's this, this remembrance that it's there, especially for the experiences that come up with in our lives at certain times. And that once we have come to this place where we feel a little bit more mindful and more in control over what happened and the emotion and the emotional backlash from that is that we still have to continue to do the work. And you talk a lot about that as well. And I believe you wrote a couple of books and, and you talk about the importance of, of really getting in touch with that emotion that we tend to avoid. And so I know you call it emotional avoidance and you speak around it as though it is the key to leading a better life and a better ability to make decisions. And so can you just expand on that a little bit? What is emotional avoidance? Absolutely. So we are all emotionally avoidant across the board. Again, it's generic to how we are as humans. I have to say that it wasn't until a couple of years ago, literally, which is astonishing because I'm 52 years old, that I really faced myself. And I realized that I've been repressed for many, many, many years. And, you know, it was so astounding to me. I remember this where we would just discuss because, you know, I go to a lot of workshops, obviously, and we do a lot of personal work and people are like, do you have regrets? And I would say, no, I'm so mindful. I make the most mindful decisions and everything is thought out and thoughtful. And I recognized in the past couple of years, and the way that I saw this is through my personal intimate relationship with my husband, I realized I've been living in a state of repression and I did not take accountability for my part in the relationship at all. And I'm realizing that more and more and really coming front and center to like what my part in it was and is, you know, how it got there, you know, and going through a lot of a, you know, a transition now, you know, and understanding a lot of that so that like future relationships, obviously, you know, will evolve into being something obviously more positive and fulfilling, but it's a continual process. So emotional avoidance, what happens is, and it has to do with our kind of wiring, our neurological kind of makeup. And when we feel uncomfortable, we avoid. That's just the way it is. And when I say discomfort, it could be all variations of that. So we could feel uncomfortable in our bodies and we could have a somatic reaction. We could feel uncomfortable in our minds, which brings on negative perceptions of the world, of ourselves, of others. It comes in so many different variations and our brains are wired to protect us from discomfort and from danger. And it is constantly, constantly, constantly in that role. And it takes its role very seriously at all times. And our brain can't differentiate between something happening once and something happening a hundred times. So that's why when somebody has a single incident trauma, so to speak, they could be really stuck where they won't go on a highway if they were in a car accident, right? Or, I mean, I see this all the time where they literally get stuck in time when the incident happened. Or somebody who has cumulative trauma, 
and let's say childhood developmental trauma over a long period of time and their stuckness, but the brain can't differentiate. The brain literally gets stuck in time because it has to remind us and hold us accountable for protecting us at all times. So when we have the somatic response, let's say in our body and we feel, we naturally make that association and we cut it off. We don't wanna feel it. We don't wanna deal with it. We disregard it. We avoid it. We distract from it. We do all different kinds of mind games in order to protect ourselves. And that doesn't allow us to really be in the moment. And so essentially what I'm understanding is subconsciously and as a mechanism in which we use to survive is that we are conditioned to avoid pain, to move away from pain or anything that's uncomfortable and seek out pleasure. And so this happens on an unconscious level. Just to correct, it's not even pleasure, right? Because that's the assumption, right? That we're always kind of pleasure seeking. And that's actually not the case. So if somebody is used to, let's say, constantly, constantly tapping into their nervous, their autotomic nervous system, right? Which then taps into the sympathetic nervous system, which brings us into the fight or flight because they're constantly in, let's say, situations where they're anxious. I mean, let's say, right? Their system literally gets habituized to be in that state 24 seven. And although it's uncomfortable for them to be in intimate relationships that are, let's say, toxic or whatever you want to call it, right? They're attracted to it because that's what their autonomic nervous system is used to and familiar with. So that feels comfortable, but is it really comfortable? That's why I don't really use the word, you know, kind of pleasure. Pleasure and pain. Because our brains and our bodies don't really understand what that is, you know? And interestingly enough, here's like, just to kind of add to that, we hold on to pain. We don't hold on to pleasure. Okay. So if we have a negative memory, we'll remember that forever. Right. So if I ask you like solicit a memory, you know, that came with a lot of, let's say angst or, you know, negative emotions and go back as far back as you could remember, you could probably tell me something in your childhood. If I said to you, bring up something that was extremely pleasurable or like positive, like came with very positive emotions and bring that up and really feel it. Mm -mm. No, no. Your body and your brain doesn't remember it because it's not protecting you. It doesn't hold on to it. Yeah. It doesn't serve our survival to focus on that pleasurable thing, but to avoid that painful thing. And, and the word pleasure is not necessarily excitement or necessarily you know, the roller coaster ride, something super fun and thrilling, but it's instead really avoiding that pain or coming to that place of neutrality. And so we use those words just in psychology to make decisions ultimately, and especially around our survival, super interesting. And familiarity, familiarity. Right, 100%. And that's why we always see people. And I think, Michelle, this is going to be like my life's work is to understand, just to understand how we can continue to endure suffering, even though we know that it's suffering, even though we're doing this habit or this behavior that doesn't serve us, and yet we still continue to do it, and we prefer to stay here than to move away from this and seek out the unknown, because the unknown is way scarier than what we are currently doing. So do you have anything to explain that? So I think understanding the word adaptation is so critical. And I have to say, to me, when I hear that, when I'm going into that space, it awakens me. And I'm like, oh my God, there I go again. I'm slipping. I'm like going right there. And that comes from our triggers. So we, when we get triggered, and again, you know, when we say triggered, typically we'll, we'll blame someone else for our triggers. We'll say, they triggered me. Mm -mm. No, it's our triggers. We have to own that. 
that's something that's coming up within us. So if a person is not acting the way they should or the way you want them to, that's not about them. That's about you, right? That's a should. That's a should. But what ends up happening is we formulate all these adaptations as we develop in right throughout our lives. And what is an adaptation? It's basically, like you said, it's a coping mechanism. It's a coping mechanism by which we survive. And that comes in all different forms and shapes. And it could look very, very, very adaptive. But guess what? It could be adaptive when we're a kid, but when we're an adult, not so adaptive. Not so adaptive, right? We have to really learn to utilize adult coping mechanisms. You know, when we were younger, it would might have been okay, you know, to expect that somebody's gonna understand how we feel or somebody read our minds. No, as an adult, and I see this all the time, which compromises like adult relationships, where people expect others to read their minds. And then they get really wounded. And they get really, I'm going to say, even aggressive, you know, towards others when somebody doesn't read their mind. But that's not the way we're, again, no, as an adult, it's your responsibility to be accountable for yourself and also to communicate effectively and attune to somebody just like you want somebody to tune to you. So it's really understanding. So when you're kind of slipping into that slippery slope, when you're getting triggered, you know, when you recognize like that inner child is kind of coming out and usurping your power, right? And is also influencing your behavior because that's the most important thing. Thoughts and feelings, perfectly okay. You could have any thought or feeling. It's the behavior that really matters and which actually either contributes to your confidence or takes away from it. And that's the question I always ask. Like, is this contributing to your confidence or is it taking away from it? That's powerful. That's a good question to always ask, always. And so from what I'm hearing, what you're saying is we're needing to learn how to release that codependence. I'm feeling this way, Michelle, because you triggered me and it's your fault because you said this, right? And so everything is outside me. If I'm constantly blaming others or putting that sense of responsibility on others for how I feel emotionally or for what my reaction is or what my behavior is, I'm actually in this constant place of codependence where I cannot make a decision for myself. I can't have a thought for myself. And then I can't ultimately change my emotion and change the behavior that comes with that emotion because it's always outside of me. Yes. Yeah. The other thing too, is it's very disempowering. If you think about it, very disempowering to think that everybody else affects you and everybody else impacts on your behavior and everybody else influences on how you live your life. Think about how depleting and how disempowering that is. But when you take ownership and you have autonomy and efficacy over your own behaviors, wow, it's so freeing. And I have to tell you, when I tell clients this, right, because it's a big shift in our thinking, when you tell clients, you could have any thought or feeling you want, all welcome, and that they're able to really express it and verbalize it to me, right, and recognize no judgment, you're okay just as you are. And I could choose how to behave how I want based on my values and how I want to live my life. I see like literally like a ton of bricks, just like you could see how they feel so empowered and they feel more agency over their life. It's like a huge, and I've had so many incidents. I have this uh, college age young adult I'm working with. What's so lovely is sometimes I get the opportunity to work with them when they're like in middle school and they leave me for a while, then they come back, you know. So she, I worked with her through high school. And if I tell you the intensity of her social anxiety and the disconnect that she had in her, in her like 
you know, kind of emotional and friendships, emotional relationships. It was actually really sad, you know, to me. She's in college now and she has a boyfriend. And the the level of intimacy and connection in that relationship is so heartwarming. And she texted me the other day because she obviously feels very trusting and connected to me, but it was so lovely. She said to me, I'm so upset. You know, I said something to him and I realized it was so my trigger. I realized that it was so coming from me and he had a negative reaction to it. And I'm just sitting with a lot of guilt. And I expressed to her based on kind of all the work we've done. I said, you did everything you needed to. I said, you owned it. You apologized and you supported and validated where he was coming from. I said, good for you. And she wrote and she said, like, it's because of the work we've done together. She said, I never would have been able to do this. I would have sabotaged the relationship and I probably wouldn't have continued in it if that were the case. But like, how amazing. And you could hear like, I mean, I could hear (laughs) through the text, like she just felt so empowered and it was so lovely. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And that's the only place that we can really transform and change from, right? Is when we decide that this, this is mine, this is me right? I am responsible for my emotions. I'm responsible for the way I react to things. And I'm responsible for all the decisions that I make. And even around health and fitness, and I I always share this with my clients, it's not that my husband brought the chips at home that is the reason why I ate the chips. It's because I made the decision to eat the chips that were in the pantry, right? And the moment we decide that, the moment we decide everything is my responsibility and my decision, I can make the change. That's, That's the primary leverage that we need in order to pivot from that behavior. And on top of that, the willingness to be uncomfortable. Yes, yes. The willingness. And I really mean that. It's a commitment. It's literally making a commitment to yourself because in the discomfort is the growth. That's where it is. And if you think about it, anything that you ever wanted in your life that was important, you had to work for. Nothing comes easy. I always say like, what have you gotten in your life that came easy to you, that you really wanted, that was important to you? Like names, anything. There's nothing. There literally is nothing. So what makes you think that you want to, you know, manage your weight or you want to like have a positive relationship that it's going to come easy to you and you don't have to put time and effort into it? No. Or quickly. Yeah. Right. And and that's what I, I was thinking about this yesterday as I was cooking is we have this sense of urgency, especially when we think about creating a transformation in our health and fitness. We have this sense of urgency that it has to happen immediately. But we go to college or we go to med school or we go to whatever, and we know that this is going to take four to six to eight years. We know that there's going to be time. This is a journey. And throughout this journey, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be different changes. I'm going to learn a lot about myself. I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. And yet when we commit to our health and fitness, for whatever reason, we think that it's supposed to be easy to your point, Michelle, and that it's supposed to be quick. Those two things. And it's because that comes from our society. Our society tells us that we don't want to have any discomfort, that it's not okay to sit in this discomfort, that we need to avoid it in any way, shape or form. And what we do then is try to seek out that immediate pleasure that how can I have that instant gratification? And unfortunately, that psychology is used on us in marketing. It's used on us to sell us things. And we fall for it when we're not aware that everything takes work and effort. That's exactly right. And to expect that we're going to slip at times because we're human and there's a human frailty and we're imperfect. That's just part of the process. And really having radical acceptance over that. Like I am imperfect and I am going to slip at times. 
And there's a difference, like even with health and you know weight management, there's a difference between overeating for two days and overeating for 14 days, exponentially over time. So if you're able to ground yourself and you could face yourself in the discomfort, right? And sometimes there's shame and there's guilt and there's other negative emotions that come along with it. And I find it's mostly fear. So the fear comes from, oh my goodness, I'm not good at this. Or there I go again, it's going to end up the same way. What if I screw up, right? Or I'm not going to be successful at this. But like, look at yourself. You know, I've been doing this mirror kind of mindfulness exercise lately. And I have to say, it's so powerful. But I'll literally, when I get like kind of dysregulated sometimes, I feel like I just can't really get myself kind of past it. I literally look at myself in the mirror and I stare into my eyes. And I do. And I say, like, I'm human and it's okay. You are okay. And you could do this. And I'll, I'll literally have a conversation with myself. And there's so much power in it because when we look at ourselves, we don't really look at ourselves, right? We don't face ourselves. Like, what does that really mean? And we're so scared to face ourselves because we're so scared that we're going to fail and disappoint ourselves or somebody else, or somebody else for that matter, right? Some people, it's the other, some people, it's ourselves, but it's always in the nature of disappointing and failing. And we're constantly in that cycle. So we could be scared and it's okay to be scared, but face that, admit it, put it out there, label it, like label, 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 whatever the feeling is, like put it out there. And you know, what's so lovely also, what I really recommend and is, which is really helpful. Journaling is always helpful, of course, just to kind of write. But what I love to do and I, what I really encourage people to do is whatever's going on for you, that stuckness or like I said, negative emotion or whatever it is, is to actually do either like a guided meditation or do like a silent meditation. And again, when I say meditation, okay, that's a variable for each person because some people obviously like different ways of meditating. I don't care if you do a walking meditation. Okay, I don't care if you do a guided meditation. I don't care if you're listening to music, whatever it is for you, whatever you're doing is perfectly fine. Just find the thing that works for you. And it takes sometimes five minutes, but that is my deepest, richest kind of insights when I'm sitting with it sometimes. And you know what usually comes out is fear. It's usually fear. It starts out, and I know myself really well, of course, but it starts out with rage and anger. I am really comfortable with rage and anger because I grew up with that. Like, I am so okay with that. Some people aren't, you know, I am. Like, that is my go-to. But what's underneath that always is sadness or fear. And then when I say to myself, what's going on? Like, what am I sad about? What am I fearful? I could definitely get to that place. And then I sit, I sit in that meditation and I, I, I try it on. I feel it. I feel it in my body. I feel it in my mind. You know, I process through it and it really helps to kind of not only to dissipate, right. And to take away kind of the steam, I'm going to say, but it also brings so much insight and understanding and self-compassion. And that that's the piece of it that I really teach people. We do not learn how to be self-compassionate. Never. If that's the one skill that we all need that we're not taught, I would say that's it, hands down, literally. And when I teach those skills to people, that is when I see so much change. I can't even tell you. 100%. Yeah. And, and all comes from that place of, of self-love. And so interesting what you were talking about earlier around fear and aggression and anger. Well, aggression, anger, when you're, when you're actually really feeling fear, because aggression and anger is a mask for fear. If you ever see an injured animal and you approach that injured animal, 
they don't just retract most of the time. They, they lash out. They're trying to attack you because they have fear. And so it's so much easier for us to turn that fear or that fear of failure even into anger and frustration because that gives us significance, that gives us certainty, that gives us that capacity to act and not to feel like we are so vulnerable and just that easy target that we oftentimes feel like when we are in that state. And so just coming back to that emotional avoidance, and here's what I love about this conversation. I have a program called Make Peace with Food. I help women overcome binge eating, emotional eating, stress eating, boredom eating. And oftentimes, it's just understanding that there's this dysregulated emotion that is so difficult to sit in that drives that cycle. It starts with a trigger from the environment. That trigger leads to an emotion. The emotion is extremely uncomfortable, even if it's happiness. It could even be joy. Even if it's boredom, that's an uncomfortable emotion. And then it leads us to a way to escape it. We want to escape it. And generally that's through food, but you can go ahead and plug in any non-serving behavior here. And after that behavior is done, there's this temporary relief. And the temporary relief is again followed by another dysregulated emotion. And now we are stuck in that cycle. And so you, you spoke earlier about how that emotional avoidance is something innate within us. It's, it's our survival mechanism. And so you also spoke about how mindfulness is extremely important. And I couldn't agree more. If we don't have this level of awareness, then the program continues to run unconsciously and we can't escape it. It's just constantly there in the background. So what could some strategies be, Michelle, that you could maybe share with us today to sit more into that discomfort of that emotion and have some tools that we can use whenever we are in that place and we're starting that cycle and we have that trigger? Yeah. So it takes a lot of practice. So I do want to say that it takes a lot of practice to be in the conscious awareness. And that's why mindfulness is so helpful because you're learning to really have space between the thinking and doing, right? You're that space. And our brains, like I said, are not really wired that way. So we have to train it literally to have that space. Okay. So the more that we practice to sit in the discomfort, it's almost like exposure therapy, if you want to call it, right? It's desensitizing yourself to kind of being in that feeling. And that takes time. That takes effort. That takes time. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of self-compassion because it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't. So I would say first is acknowledging. And again, that's where kind of coming from, like you said, that deep kind of subconscious or unconscious place, what it is, like I just said, what are your go-to emotions? You know, what prompts that for you, right? So like you talked about anger. If you think about anger, it's a false sense of strength. Yes. When I'm angry and when I'm aggressive, oh my God, bad ass. Like, <laughs> yeah. Don't even go near me, you know? And by the way, that is something that is definitely communicated. And like, people will say to me, like, you could be intimidating, you could be off-putting because I am, I'm scary, you know, <laughs> like seriously. And that's not who I want to be ever, ever. You know, like I work on being, on really engendering that softer side of me all the time because I know I have that. That's like kind of my soft spot. So you really have to learn and gain insight into your go-to emotions, what your triggers are. And I've done a lot of work lately of late on my triggers. So I am so clear and I've identified three places that I go to specifically that really, really kind of compel my triggers. So when it happens, I'm like, there it is. So labeling it, really labeling it, 
The other thing, which is really important, because I, this is something that we always do, is our brain kind of, like I said, takes over. And we have thoughts about the thoughts. We have thoughts about the feelings, feelings about the feelings, thoughts about the feelings. It just kind of goes, you know, haywire. And that's how we kind of, again, go through that cycle that you're speaking about. So when we have the original thoughts, which then leads to feelings, instead of rationalizing or responding to or whatever we do, because we all do this, okay? And then that spins us out of control is to really notice your mind spinning and to come back to the original thought, okay? So, you know, this is too hard, you know, with weight management, this is too hard. I'll never be good at it, let's say, right? And then, right, the mind might say, well, I might as well eat that because if I'm not good at it, then like, who cares? I might as well feel good, right? And then the mind will say, no, but I don't really need to eat that because I had, you know, a big dinner and that's extra. Oh, but you know what? I deserve it because I had a really hard day. I could go on and on, right? I mean, it's like- That sounds spot on. Good job. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So if you're able, again, to say, oh, there goes my mind, right? It's flip-flopping. Let's go back to the original thought. The original thought was, I'm not good at this. Okay, where is this coming from? I'm fearful. I'm having the thoughts, I'm not good at this. That's coming out of fear because I really want to be good at this. I want this to be different. I don't want to be in that cycle anymore. This doesn't serve me well. And it really makes me sad. And it makes me feel disempowered being in this cycle. Right. And then kind of sitting, like I said, sitting with that and self-compassion. When I have this adversity that comes up for me, when I have these moments of challenge, it really spins me into a place where I want to give up, where I feel like I'm never going to be good at this, where I feel hopeless and helpless about my situation. This is really hard for me. This is really hard for me. And you know what? I deserve love. I deserve to empower myself and be the best version of myself. So again, if we constantly practice that and went through that, it makes such a difference. I can't even tell you. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That was so good. And and I couldn't agree more. And it's interesting. It's There's a part that is sort of homework for us to do. And that's sort of what we're, you're talking about is just that awareness and that constant practice. You have to constantly practice. It's not going to be the perfect the first time. Even if you're on a roll and you stop that behavior for a few months, it may come back and then you have to get back into that practice. But what's really important is being surrounded in an environment where that practice is constantly practiced. And that's why having a coach often is so important because when we slip up, if we decide, you know what, I'm going to go about this on my own. I don't need anybody. I know what to do. I read the books. I watched a couple of YouTube videos. I'm on it. When we get to that place where we do slip up, generally, we don't have that good advice for ourselves, like you were just saying, right? We don't have that self-compassion immediately. But when we are with a coach and we slip up, that coach right away will be that voice of reason, will be that voice that is motivational, that's inspirational, that is going to help help us create that self-compassion. And so being in that environment just serves as more and more training for the mind to start to think this way. Because if I'm going to change my thoughts, then I have to change my environment. If I'm going to change my emotions, then I have to change my thoughts. And therefore, again, I have to change my environment because each of them impact the other. And it's this massive domino effect. And it's so important to understand that our thoughts give rise to the emotion, which give rise to the behavior. If I have stressful thoughts, I have cortisol in my body. And then my behavior will be very different than if I love myself through that mistake, through that slip up that I did. 
If I love myself through it, I have oxytocin, I have dopamine, I have the hormones that will drive successful behavior, and I'm more likely to then try again and to keep being committed to my goals, no matter how difficult the challenge may be. And so sometimes we just, we're in the space where we feel that we're on our own, we do it on our own, and what ends up happening is we end up staying in that space for much, much longer. And, you know, to your point, it's the behavior that drives the behavior, right? When we're feeling positive about ourselves, that's when we're going to behave in a positive way towards ourselves. And, you know, another little excerpt that I ask my clients to kind of say to themselves is to say, if I saw myself as worthy, how would I be behaving? How would I be behaving? I'd be conscious of how I eat. I'd be conscious of how I speak. I'd be conscious of my relationships. I'd be conscious of everything if you think about it. Yeah, so good. I believe, Michelle, that everything is available for us and it is possible for everyone to create and accomplish anything. And one thing I always say is that fitness is possible for everyone. It is right here for us to grab. It is actually available. It's not something we need to look for or or find or do anything about. All we have to do is receive it. And that receivership comes from that place of worthiness that you're speaking of. You know, it's so interesting. I mean, I I laugh at this because, you know, I've been working out for over 30 years and I'm diehard. I work out six days a week. You know, I do weight training and Mm -hmm. cardio. Yeah. Listen, I'm 52. I'm in damn good shape. And I say that with an exclamation point. Oh yeah. Don't apologize for being awesome. So great. Exactly. And I get haters sometimes, by the way, just so you know, I've had people say, why are you posting yourself in a bikini or whatever? And I'm like, why not? I'm proud of myself. I'm not doing it to show off. I'm actually doing it to be inspiring. And for many people, it is inspiring. And they actually say that. So I can't speak to everybody, right? But you know, it's so fascinating. I get comments all the time. Let's say when I go out to eat, because I am very conscious of my food intake and health and fitness and all of that. But, you know, I'll go out to eat with a group of people and everybody's getting desserts. And I'll, I'll look at the menu and there's no healthy choices. And I'll say to the waiter waitress, I'll say, excuse me, do you have any like fresh fruit? You know, and they'll say, yeah, we have some berries and, you know, kind of whip something up. I said, great. So they bring me this fresh fruit and everybody's looking at me and they're like, how did you get that? That's not fair. And I'm like, you just have to ask. And it's so interesting, right? Like they're envious how I got fresh fruit, you know, feeling maybe a little, you know, kind of exposed because they're eating whatever. And then not only that, this just past week, I had to laugh because I was actually getting a manicure. And again, I'm proud of my body. So I wear things that are fitted and, you know, et cetera. So people will always say to me, oh, all the time, how do you stay so fit? Or how are you, you know, so fit? And I'm like, it's not magic. It's not like I work really hard at this. This doesn't come easy. This is not easy. This is like a work in progress that I constantly, constantly put a lot of time and effort into. And if it was so easy, everybody would have it. Right. Right. So, but I kind of chuckled to myself that there's this assumption that it comes easy for me in some way. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's sort of, you know, our world and our perspective when we are on social media, that looks so easy. Look at her. She's done all that stuff. That's so easy. And nobody sees the years. And you just mentioned, I've been working out for 30 years. And it's so interesting because people will start something like we were talking about earlier and expect in three weeks to look or to be able to do what you're able to do that took you 30 years to accomplish. And so there definitely needs to be a lot of discussion and awareness created around this and and just surrounding this conversation that we've had today. I hope that today the listeners 
have taken a little golden nugget. I'm, there were so many today that you shared with us, Michelle. So I want to thank you for your time. And we're almost at the top of the hour, which I can't believe. And so maybe before we sign off, you can maybe share where people could find you if they wanted to learn more from you. Sure. So I'm a Psychology Today blogger, and I write articles all the time, you know, on many, many different topics from health and fitness, parenting, you know, self-help, uh, mindfulness. So reaches the gamut. You could just kind of look under my name. My website is michellemaidenberg.com, two L's, and it's M-A-I-D-E-N-B-E-R-G. All my blogs are posted there. I also have my two books. So this is my newest one, which is so exciting. It's called Ace Your Life. Unleash your best self and live the life you want. And this is based on acceptance, compassion, and empowerment. So very proud of it. And it just won two awards. So I'm very excited. Amazing. Congratulations. Yes. And then my second book is Free Your Child from Overeating. And it's uh, 53 Mind-Body Strategies for Lifelong Health. I use it also with adults. It's not just, you know, for kids. It's the psychological barriers to health and fitness. It does not talk about health and weight. It talks about the psychological barriers and it's mindfulness-based. So I do want to say that. So it's very different than other books than you've seen out there. I also have a YouTube channel where I do weekly guided meditations also on all different topics. And the last thing I definitely want to plug is I have a nonprofit, which is called Through My Eyes, T-H-R-U. And the mission is we do free clinically guided videotaping for chronically medically ill individuals who want to leave a video legacy for their children and loved ones. Oh, I love that so much. You are amazing. Oh, thank you. What a pleasure it was to have you on today. You are a radiant life. Please continue to do what you're doing today. Loved our conversation. You as well. You as well. Just talking to you, I feel inspired. <laughs> I feel like we're going to we're gonna have to do a part two because there's so much. I feel like we're just like scratching the surface of even just talking about emotional avoidance. So I'm always happy to come back. Just say. Amazing. All right, hon. Enjoy the rest of your day and speak soon. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fall in Love with Fitness. Whether you're already on your fitness journey or just getting started, we're in this together. Just head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review, and you'll be entered into the drawing to win my six-week transformation course. Then go to fallinlovewithfitness.com and get your free gift from me so you get back your energy and reinvigorate your life. Join me on the next episode, and remember, you are an inspiration.